fancy seeing you here. I'm Sam, Sam Weaver for long. <laughs> Throughout the week, I am a coffee, a Kansas City coffee industry employee, and I also get to help open up Neighbors Coffee and Hospitality. Um, I've never done this before. I've never preached in front of a church before, so give me some grace when I will inevitably mess up and attach myself to my notes. I told Jordan Weaver, my husband, is in the back, and I told him that he's in charge if something crazy happens. So here's your warning. Um, I'm also attempting to put on my Cassie Farron hat today, and we all know that no one can really wear the Cassie Farron hat quite like Cassie Farron. Midtown Leadership gave me the really cool minor prophet to teach about this morning, and I'll introduce you to him too, a little more later on. His name is Obadiah. You have to say it like that. Obadiah is pretty good at showing up with the hard truth that no one really wants to talk about. And in his prophecy, he presents his audience with a good old-fashioned pride check. So hopefully ours is going to get checked today too. When I say pride check, I mean the type of feeling that happens when you feel overly confident in something that eventually fails. Something that blows up in your face or puts you in your place. And I'm sure that we can all relate to this on some level. Happens to some of us more often than others, and I feel like I get pride checked on the daily. <laughs> Sometimes pride check is the direct equivalent of an embarrassing story, like when you think you look really good all day, and then you get home and you realize that you've had spinach stuck in your teeth from the smoothie that you had this morning. Or when you go to record a video of yourself and end up retaking it 20 times just to find out that they were all uploading to your Instagram story and everyone saw them. Or when you sing the wrong words on stage or botch the scripture reading at microchurch or you call someone the wrong name or just flat out royally fail at something you thought you had down pat. We can call them pride checks or embarrassing moments, but we have all had moments when our pride does not allow us to move forward well and love others in the process. More often than not, our pride is what halts our ability as a believing community to be vulnerable enough to give and receive a healthy community around us. It limits our ability to ask others for help. More often than not, our pride is what prevents us from seeking the best for our neighbor. When we become too internally focused to recognize the needs of who is next door. More often than not, our pride is what separates and divides us from Jesus and revealing his kingdom. When we become entirely too convinced of our own versions of truth that we cannot change our mind. And what we know about this more often than not type of pride is that God absolutely despises it. And of this he makes clear in Obadiah, therefore we must listen. So introducing Obadiah. Obadiah is a single-chaptered, flyover verse of the Old Testament. It's the shortest one, and it's the only one addressed to a nation other than Israel. And at first glance, it doesn't appear that much depth is, depth is at hand, much less a devotional idea of how we should live. But amongst its 24 verses, we hear repeated language such as or related to the kingdom is at hand, calamity, ransacked, pillaged, calamity upon your nation, disaster, trouble, possession, and none of these ideas sound fun. Obadiah is not really a book that we look to gain comfort or peace or learning how to be a better human being, but we do know three things about Obadiah and the following minor prophets. 
Obadiah, like all prophets, is a messenger sent to the people of God to call them back to covenant or relational faithfulness. Number two, in this case, Obadiah is challenging the pride of Edom. Their self-importance and ego has fractured their relationship with God. Thirdly, God does not leave the people in their brokenness. He works to restore his relationship with them, even if that means calling out the hard truth of the situation. Obadiah's message is a divine pride check. For the nation of Edom centuries ago and for us today who maintain the same sense of self-centered pride. So in order to become, become a spiritually and emotionally healthy community, we must reflect on the destruction egotistical pride has the potential to cause in our life. And then we must look to our subversive savior for direction. So before we get too deep into why we need to listen to Obadiah more closely, we first need to identify the pride we're talking about. Because there is space for a good sense of pride. It's a type of pride when our friend does something really cool or they do nothing except exist as a cool human being and you, their friend, gets to be like, dang, I'm proud to be their friend. They're so cool. Or it's the feeling when you get when your garden grows its first cucumber or from my rock climbing people when you send that V7 project you've been working on for ages. Or it's seeing your family members grow into people that you actually enjoy. <laughs> Good pride is acknowledging accomplishments that you have worked hard for. But bad pride, the kind that we are going to be focusing on today, is any internal deliberation or outward attitude that diminishes others. Examples include when a coworker is successful at completing your team's work goal, they get praise for it, and under the guise of pretentiousness, you make a sarcastic remark that causes them to second-guess themselves, to feel less than. Or it is emitting the aura of knowledge and education, not so subtly reminding your friends that you have more education, a higher GPA, and you got a 32 on your high school ACT like 10 years ago. <laughs> Another more sinister angle of how pride has the potential to seep into relationships is the felt need to continuously trauma bond to people, taking score of who has been through more suffering. And here's my disclaimer for this. I'm not saying that we should resist vulnerability. We should not. I am saying we should, we should not use our past hardships or accomplishments to subtly try to gain power in relationships with others. If we look at the statistics about the self-centered type of pride we're talking about today, the results are not surprising, but they are contradictory to what the current culture celebrates as so many want to build up their ego. In a public psychology survey, the results determined that people who are self-serving and only interested in looking out for themselves are not simply egocentric, they're also more likely to be miserable. Survey results have shown the majority of self-identified self-servers feel that other people take advantage of them, say that you should only help someone if it, benefits and you, if it benefits you in some way, and they assume it's better not to show any weakness and that it is better to distrust everyone. It was concluded in the survey that self-centered pride has harmful effects on mental and emotional health it is eventually self-destructive. Bad pride gets in the way of us loving our neighbor. 
and ultimately revealing Jesus' kingdom. And for as long as we maintain it, our vision of seeing people through God's eyes is shrouded. We can't help but see them as competitors to bring down, to always be one step ahead of rather than being willing to step in and support. Bad pride tends to ignore opportunities to love our neighbors well. And this is the hard truth about our pride, and God hates it. Like any habit, the more we allow ourselves to abide by pride, the more that we do it subconsciously. And the Bible is quite clear from Genesis to Revelation that pride is the root cause of all sin. It was the beginnings of sin entering the world when Satan himself fell to ruin after trying to take God's place. It was the crux of the fall when the serpent told Eve, you will be like God, and she liked the sound of that. It was for the sake of pride that Abel killed his brother Cain. It was pride that caused the Pharisees to look down upon the woman anointing Jesus' feet. It was with the blinders of pride that Judas betrayed the Son of God and sold him for a few pieces of silver. We can read numerous examples in our lives and in scripture that pride has the deeply destructive potential to blind humanity of simple kindness. It will inevitably hurt us and our others. So again, welcome to the pride check. Let's do it this morning. Now that we've distinguished the types of pride, the type of pride we're talking about, let's get back to what Obadiah is addressing. A prophet with a really cool name <laughs> provides a message to the nation of Edom. Edom is the main character of this prophecy. Edom is the descended nation of a brother named Esau, twin of Jacob. Many of us are familiar with this story of Esau and Jacob. They were twin brothers at odds since birth, constantly compared to each other. Jacob had wit, Esau had brawn, and call it manipulative, call it cunning, but Jacob somehow convinced Esau to barter his birthright over a bowl of lentil soup. Their relationship was tense, and it historically remained that way. Even so, they were blood brothers, and so were their nations. Jacob's nation was Israel, God's chosen nation. Es Esau's descended nation was Edom, and it was infected by pride and comparison. Author Stan Jantz, who I'm going to be referencing a little bit more later on, he calls their specific sin an aggravated lack of brotherhood, and I call it self-centeredness. Jantz also noted that though Edom bordered Israel and had a historical lineage following from brotherhood, they chose to side with Babylon, one of the superpowers of the ancient world. Israel was brutally destroyed by the wicked nation of Babylon. And while this was happening, Edom watched and then they looted it. When Israel was at its weakest point, it was trashed by Edom. They assisted in destroying their brother by choosing to hold tightly to the resources they took pride in rather than humbling themselves enough to help out. And their pride was so blinding that they proceeded to take everything Israel had left of their broken nation. They were infected by pride. It was originally a nation that was doing quite well. <laughs> they lived tall in literal mountain clefts their capital city, whose name was Petra, 
means rock, and it acted as such as a fortress that no one could get past, which I believe has symbolic significance for personality types or people groups that choose to remain guarded instead of letting people help or offering to step out. The Edomites lived in a prideful attitude of who could ever reach us from up here, as if their security existed in the geographical location of safety they proudly resided in. But family as we know, Hedges mean nothing to God. He doesn't care for the walls his people build around themselves, assuming they can take control of their surroundings. Assuming their sense of security is dependent upon themselves. Obadiah 6 says, Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. Along with their sense of pride in their own security, they took pride in the people they sided with, even if that meant doing unethical things. When Edom should have been brothering Israel, which had just been destroyed by Babylon, they instead participated in the horrific act by plundering Israelite cities, capturing and even killing their captives. They took pride in siding with the nation in power. They took pride in their connections to success. They took pride in strong alliances, even when that brought their neighbor to ruin. And although this may seem foreign and dramatic, it's not so foreign for us to do the same when we seek to be included in people groups that exclude others, whether that be politics or denominations, creating alliances that does not include our metaphorical neighbors or their needs. When we hide behind our economic status, whether that be the tax bracket or the type of housing we fill into, when we use our jobs as our sense of identity, assuming they define how we continue to operate and what people think of us, when we see people as less than just because they look different than us, when we do this, we're taking pride in the wrong things. In the process of doing so, we are hurting other people. God is trying to tell his people, lay aside your prideful desires to hide behind a brand name of what you want community to be and look to me as your decision maker, as your security. In 1 Kings 4, it said that the Edomites were known throughout the ancient world for their wisdom. But with this pride of knowledge came the assumption that Edom could be independent from God. I don't know if this sounds familiar to anyone. They felt as if they didn't need him at all. They didn't look to God for security or friendship or authority. They looked to themselves. And regarding spiritual pride, the preacher and writer Jonathan Edwards says this. The first and worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. It is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit to darken the mind and misleads the judgment. Pride is the main handle by which he has hold of the Christian persons and the chief source of all the mischief that he introduces to clog and hinder the work of God. And I know this to be true. Pride is the gateway drug to tear down friend groups and church communities and coworkers and extended families. 
It's the way the devil sneaks into our hearts and minds when we start to convince ourselves that we're better than others and that we're fine on our own. Midtown, I pray that this specific example of Edom's pride, based on our own wisdom, is especially convicting this morning. That for all who hope to gain spiritual wisdom, may it not be in vain. We know from the scriptures what destruction may be caused if we allow ourselves to misuse wisdom under the influence of prideful desire. May wisdom not be used to, to gain leverage or power over others as so many have done and we've seen. So may this be a divine pride check today. We know what Edom was prideful of, their sense of security, their strong alliances, and their perception of wisdom. They were blinded by their pride and they disobeyed God by aiding in the destruction of their brother slash neighbor. And for this, God was angry. And he had every right to be. And don't we want him to be? When a neighbor horribly wrongs us, we want God to bring about justice and mercy and righteousness. And that is what we see here when God gives Edom a pride check, calling them out through his prophet Obadiah for three things. So if you want to take a peek at Obadiah for the first time this morning, we can take a peek at it. Verse 11. Edom, you should have helped Israel when strangers plundered at Jerusalem, but because you stood back and watched, you're as guilty as those who invaded. This is what he's saying to them. Verse 12, you took pleasure in your neighbors thinking things like, they deserved it. Glad I'm not in their shoes. In verses 13 and 14, you took advantage of your neighbor's misfortune. You financially benefited from their failure. Does any of this sound familiar? For some of us, it's daily. For others, it lingers in our brain space, tempting us to believe or fall into the trap, the pit of pride. Obadiah reminds Edom that the day of the Lord is coming. What they have done will be done to them. Edom's fate rested on their unwillingness to obey God and love their neighbor. And just as God warned, they would soon become dust and rubble. And that's exactly what happened. They were completely destroyed, washed away, turned to dust. Jance writes, those who are high and powerful today should not be so overconfident in themselves, whether they are a nation, a corporation, a church, or a family, just as Edom was destroyed for its pride, so will anyone who lives in defiance of God. Edom's future is set because they never learned from their past. They became oppressed people who disappeared. And on the flip side for Israel, Prophetic hope was on the horizon. Their God would follow through. For he is a God who advocates for the innocent, sides with the oppressed, and hates injustice. He hates pridefulness. And if you're like me, you're probably like, yeah, I'd rather not be oppressed or be pride-checked with this type of magnitude or be turned to rubble. And I'd say something like, cool, glad we're on the same page. And to start the pride-checking process, we must acknowledge where it is occurring. So let's defend against it. We can do that together, if you're willing. Where are the patterns of pride in your life? Does it get in the way of having genuine relationships with people? 
What are the messy closets you're trying to hide away, making sure no one else can see? Is the pride of your home a hindrance to enjoying your family? Is the pride of your friend group excluding people you know you need to support? Is the pride of your education, your accolades, coming into conversations more than your ability to listen to someone else's ordinary life? Are you paying more attention to protecting your pride or allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you? This is where we take the cue from the Son of God. When Edom, a spiteful nation, was destroyed, it was rubble. But when Jesus, a holy man, was destroyed, there was resurrection. Out of his, resur- out of his destruction came life. The one who came to seek the lowly in heart and in spirit, who lived as a human like all of us, who dealt with the same temptations rather than seeking security in the world like us, alliances with powerful like us or wisdom from within. Jesus's mission in the world was to be humbly subversive. He had legitimate power as we see through his many miracles recorded in the New Testament, but it was never used for his game. In his own words, he says, All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God's solution to our pride, based on an idea of independence and self-sufficiency, is to humble ourselves. And humility is not weakness. It is not solving our problems alone. It is not holding superiority over others. It is a radical, subversive way of life that Jesus has taught us. And we see his ultimate form of subversive humility when he humbled himself to the cross, willing to die for the sake of prideful people like us. In first, second Chronicles 7 to 14, the father says, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So we can hear the three ways to practice pride's opposite, humility, taken straight from this verse. We must pray, seek God's face, and turn from wicked ways. And the first plate of attack is not uncommon among Midtown teaching conclusions, which is prayer. God wants us to pray. He wants us to develop a posture of humility by communicating with him and being willing to ask for help, to ask that he would give you humility beyond your control. Secondly, God wants us to seek his face. We need to adopt his perspective of the world and his people. For the eyes of pride sees people as secondary, lower than, incompetent. But God wants us to see people for who he made them to be in his image, fully loved. Thirdly, God wants us to turn back to him. And our pride, when we notice it, He wants us to be willing and ready to acknowledge it when it enters our brain space because when pride is allowed in for so long, eventually it's bound to take action in harmful ways. So when you feel superior to someone else, you will inevitably take advantage of them, just like Edom. So turn outward. Notice your weak spots. Because self-centeredness will inevitably divide our community if we allow it to control us but we have been given the cure. 
Romans 12 teaches what humble service in the body of Christ looks like. And in verse 9, it says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Just as Edom was responsible for taking care of its brother nation, we are responsible for taking care of the brother slash sisterhood of humanity. And something that I've been challenged with as of late is that with all of my excuses, with all of my wrong timings, God has not called us to always be waiting to do the right thing. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks in the quiet and says, do something. And with that, we are responsible to do In our doing, may we not be so inwardly focused, overwhelmed by the big picture of everything that we forget about our own neighborhoods and apartment complexes, workplaces and church communities, that there are people right next to us that we need to support. So be willing to throw off the weight of pride and be willing to do what God is wanting for you right now. Pray for help, seek his face, turn from old patterns. Worship team, you're invited to join. We know that the world is not the way it was supposed to be. God is not done yet. But one day, sin and self-centeredness will be dethroned by the king of heaven and God's people will be wholly restored. The beginning of Obadiah is a somber somber declaration of God's impending judgment upon a prideful nation. But the ending contains a joyful noise of the Lord himself will be king. So you can take comfort in knowing both of these virtues of him. Yes, God hates the pride that tears people down and he is just and he has every right to be that way. But he is also the God who is hope for the hopeless, love for the brokenhearted, peace for chaos and what he asks of us is to keep our pride in check and that we resort instead to communication acknowledgement and repentance looking to him for direction one more time communication acknowledgement and repentance looking to him so may we midtown community and outside of midtown community a believing community. May we take the cue from the subversive Savior, Jesus Christ, that we may delight in his will and walk in his ways, filled to the brim with humility and defending against our pride. So I'm going to invite us now to stand. And as Alex was talking about earlier, we have been practicing a posture of submission and prayer. So as I pray, I just ask that you hold out your hands and just be open and willing to make the changes the Holy Spirit is guiding you to make today. Lord, lead us to practice humility for asking you for help. Lead us clearly to know when to ask for help. Give us vision to see your beauty in those around us, as well as your drive for justice that we may become advocates and servants for your children. 
May we turn from the past holding us back and look towards the hope of the future you have assured us with. Help us to walk in humility, value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but the interests of others. Continue to teach and guide us, Holy Spirit. Is your, in your goodness we say amen. listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.